2: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shin. Under a proposed bill, warehouses where we live would be required to inform workers about the quotas or productivity standards they are held to. Amazon, with more than 15,000 employees and 14 warehouses in the state, was the focus of a recent hearing on the bill, pulling on the latest numbers compiled by the Strategic Organizing Center that found Amazon workers were twice as likely to be injured on the job than at any other warehouse. They didn't attend that hearing back in March, but Amazon recently offered us a safety briefing at their newest facility in Windsor. While we weren't able to record the tour, we were shown the safety protocols in place at this 11th generation warehouse. It spans 66 football fields. Amazon declined the invitation to join us live this hour, but we did speak with a national spokesperson a moment ago. Kelly and Nantel share the company's stance on the bill and shed some light on their productivity metrics that are used. Let's take a listen. Kelly, thank you so much for joining the show this morning. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Catherine. So I want to just jump straight into it. I want to ask you, you know, what is Amazon's stance on this bill?
3: Well, thanks for jumping right in. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we do. (laughs) <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Look, look, we really support the goal of the bill. Uh, we believe we're following the processes already. Um, we're looking forward to working with lawmakers. I think that the, there's a common misconception with our operations, though. We don't have fixed quotas at our facilities. And so we want to work with lawmakers and make that bill as strong as possible. But I want to just explain a little bit about what our process is. And I know uh, you all had a chance to see it firsthand last week, but we assess our performance based on what we believe are safe and achievable expectations for all the employees. It takes into consideration their time and tenure and their role, Um, but more importantly, it takes into consideration peer performance and adherence to safety practices across the network. So our performance targets are generated based on how employees at each facility are actually performing. It's not a set quota. And that's really the difference I think between what we do and and what the bill calls for.
2: And what sort of productivity metrics are used at Amazon?
3: Really, it it runs the gamut. I mean, it's everything from um, you know r- performance targets around um, how many items uh, are are packed each uh, for each employee. Um, you know, every process path has a target. It has a goal, and it's no different than the role that I perform. I have goals. I'm sure you have goals as well. You know, we're we're a data driven organization, and so everything we do is is measured and 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 it's goal driven. But y- it would. It, It's hard to explain like every different metric because it depends on the on the job and on the function.
2: Right. And especially since everyone's jobs are different and and whatnot. But I want to ask because, you know, you mentioned earlier that it very much depends on on the job itself. Um, Mm -hmm. So how are Amazon's not fixed quotas different compared to your I I don't want to say an average warehouse, but maybe compared to a non Amazon warehouse?
3: Yeah, I think the difference is is the idea of a fixed quota. If you If you have a fixed quota, then you're responsible to hit that number. And if you don't hit that number, then you face disciplinary action. Ours is not designed that way. It's not a fixed number. So we have targets and we ask our employees, regardless of the role that they're performing, to achieve a target number. That number is based on what people at the facility are actually doing. So it's a very achievable number like I said, it takes into consideration whatever safety uh, parameters we need to ensure that our employees are safe, but also it accounts for experience, time and tenure. So um, so if you're new to the role, you know, your, your target is going to be obviously lower than someone who's experienced and been de- performing the task for a long period of time. But it is all generated based on peer performance. And I think that's what makes it different. When we have uh, situations where an employee isn't able to achieve the target, the idea is not to discipline the person. The idea, the, the, the policy and practice for us is to understand what's happening. Does this employee uh, need more training? You know, are they relatively new and, and they don't know how to do the task well? So we provide ambassadors who give them additional training. Or um, was there a problem with the system itself? Did the system go down? Was there a problem with the scanner? I mean, it could run the gamut, but you know, is there an issue with the with the tech or with the with the equipment that we can solve for? Or was the person sick? You know, were they just having a bad day? Was something going on, um, you know, in their life that had them distracted? Like all of those things are considerations. Um, that our managers are trained to, to, to look into and to try to understand and to help the employee work through them. The last thing that we do is to discipline an employee. It comes at the very end of a very long process of trying to understand and try to help the employee, you know, reach their targets. So it might be that maybe this isn't the right job for them. Maybe there's a different job that they're better at. Why don't we try that and see if that fits? Um, But I think the the idea of fixed quotas is is a very technical term, and it essentially essentially means that if you don't achieve that target, you know, you're disciplined.
2: So I know a lot of this, it is very technical, and it sounds like it's, of course, a lot more complicated and nuanced and and a lot of context behind these decisions. So can you tell us more about these targets? You mentioned that they're generated around peer performance. Performance and mm-hmm. and expectations. So, what about time off tasks? Um, I know the company walked back on its use on that term back in 2021, but we do have employees at a recent hearing that we described earlier um, that talked about the productivity rates being used against them and being used to sort of being a game or to drive competition. You know, how do how do you respond to that?
3: Well, there's a lot there to unpack. So let me just let me start with the first, which you mentioned time off task, and Absolutely. you're right. Yeah, you're right. We, we did away with time off tasks because it sent the wrong message. It isn't about how much time you're not working. It's about making sure that the times when you're logged into your system that you're being productive. So for example, if I come in and I scan my badge, that means, and I scan my badge at my workstation, that means that I'm logged in. And that means that I should be working while I'm standing or sitting or or packing or doing what it, whatever it is I'm doing at my, at my station. When you walk away from your station, you're required to scan your badge and that logs you out. And when you're logged into your station, you know, there's an expectation that that you're doing your job. And when there are gaps, there are significant gaps. And I'm not talking about a few minutes because I had to go to the restroom or I wanted to get water or I had a problem with my system or I went to talk to my manager. We're talking about long periods of time. We're talking about more than 30 minutes in total in any given day where I might be logged in and not doing my job. And that's what results in a manager coming and talking to me about my performance so you know what was happening was my system down uh was i was i sick was i talking to a manager so we really flipped it to be time logged in because we wanted it to we wanted people to understand that it is not about tracking every second it's about making sure that when you're logged in and you're doing your job that that you're actually performing your job um and so, so I don't know if that clarifies it at all. for No, you, but you,
2: no, it does. Yeah. It does. Absolutely. And I appreciate you unpacking that because I know there's a lot going on. And I also want to ask, you know, how does Amazon yeah. respond to the findings that its workers suffer injuries more often than than other warehouse workers and the ways that this may be connected to productivity standards?
3: Well, I think, first of all, what I would say is when we look at the health and safety of our employees, it is absolutely our top priority, and it always has been. We've seen our recordable injury rate fall by nearly 24% since 2019 and we're proud of that, but that's not good enough for us. Our goal is to reduce our recordable injury rate in half by 2025 and we're working really hard to do that. We have more than 8,000 trained safety professionals who work at our facilities across the world every day trying to keep our employees safe Uh, we've spent billions of dollars and we're spending another half a billion this year alone on programs and uh, technology safety advancements to help keep our employees safe so you know, the the criticism is always a, a little bit tough, uh, you know, to swallow when it comes from an organization like the, the National Employment Law Project or or others, because I think that oftentimes they cherry pick data that is designed to present uh, the worst case scenario. and And in fact, they ignore the data, the factual data that shows that we're making progress. We're not perfect. We know we're not. We're a big organization and a big operation, and we have a huge responsibility to keep our employees safe. But it is a responsibility we take very seriously, and we're working hard every day to improve our safety.
2: Well, and I appreciate you mentioning that the, the numbers have been going down and some of the stats were cherry-picked. But I do want to point out that in mm-hmm. Connecticut, the injuries found in OSHA reports that Amazon has submitted did go up 20% last year. That matches the national average, which is six injuries per 100 warehouse employees. So I, I want to ask if Amazon is reviewing those peer-performance-based targets and con, you know, obviously Connecticut-specific.
3: We are looking at data every day. Data is what drives our work. And so certainly we're always looking at um, at our peer performance as well, uh, but we're looking at our own data to understand what are the risks, what are the gaps, what can we do to address it, how are we training our people, what more can we do to keep people safe? Um, I would say, you know, in if looking at the NELP report itself um, it was interesting, you know to me that uh, that what they what they compared us to were national statistics. When you look at the warehousing industry in Connecticut, we're actually lower than the average um, warehouse injury uh, recordable rate in Connecticut but that was not included in the report. And I think it's because it doesn't tell the story that an organization like NELP wants to tell. Now, again, Catherine, we're not perfect. We know there's a lot of work for us to do and we're working hard to do it every day, but to not give credit for improvements, I think is just unfair to people who use that report um, and, and, and listeners on your show.
2: And and just a quick clarification that Mm -hmm. those numbers were actually from the Strategic Organizing Center um, from Mm -hmm. OSHA reports that Amazon submitted. And I know we have a very, very limited amount of time, but I do want to ask one last question is, uh, during a tour of a facility here in Windsor, our producer was shown a wellness center where conservative medical care is given as well as advice on how to heal while working. So how does Amazon determine that's feasible or that pain is due to repetitive motion, which might warrant a station shift? You know, how do you process that? I
3: just want to back up for a second because it's not a medical facility. It's a first aid station. So I just want to make that very clear. We provide on-site first aid for, you know, for minor injuries or, uh, you know, Band-Aids and aspirin and things like that. And it's staffed by uh, individuals who are medically trained. Um, and I don't know the site that you were at for what. I don't know who was uh, on site at the at the site you were at. But oftentimes there are ergonomists who are on site and others who are uh, experts in in. Um, in physical motion uh, and and training. And so I just want to make that clear. These are not medical centers. They are first aid stations and wellness centers. So again, it's designed to help employees be safe. Uh, We want to teach people how to stretch. We want to teach people uh, how to recover, how to hydrate your body, take care of yourself. And I'm glad you had a chance to tour the facility you know, we open it up to media, we open it up to the public, because we want people to see it, we want people to come inside and, and see the facilities, we want to demystify it. And, you know, we've taken more than a dozen, I, I want to say it's 15 uh, Connecticut lawmakers on tours of our facilities, including the one you were at in Windsor, uh, because we think it is important for them to see the operation and to understand the operation. Uh, Governor Lamont came along on a tour recently. And we've even extended the same invitation to Senator Kushner. And We really hope that she'll take us up on the offer to come in and see for herself.
2: And just actually one last question is I want to ask, you know, how does Amazon work with state and federal OSHA? Are issues found at one store being addressed everywhere or how does that work?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And we work really closely with with OSHA, obviously. Uh, When they come in to inspect one of our sites, we wanna open the doors and welcome them in. Because if there is something that's happening, we wanna learn from it and we want to fix it and then fix it across our network if it's in other facilities. I will say with the OSHA investigation, the recent one though, I will tell you that we've worked really closely with them, uh, but we disagree with their findings and we've appealed the citations.
2: Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Kelly. You've been listening to Kelly Nantel, who's a spokesperson with Amazon. Thank you so much, Kelly, for your time today.
3: Thanks, Catherine. I appreciate the time.
2: And joining me now to give us the latest on this bill is Democratic State Senator Julie Kushner. She's also the Senate chair of the Labor and Public Employees Committee. Thank you so much, Senator, for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Catherine. It's it's great to
2: be here. I love this program. Well, thank you so much. And just a reminder for our listeners as well that you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Senator Kushner, you've been listening to that pre-taped interview. What are your responses? What Are there things that jumped out to you?
0: Um, certainly, it was an interesting interview. Uh, and it It was very different than the testimony we heard in our public hearing in March. Uh, I think it's not surprising to me that a national spokesperson for a company would be well prepared um, to address the concerns that we have heard. Um, But what I have to say is that I truly uh, trust the people that I heard from in the hearing. You know, when you hear directly from the people that are working there, when you hear from national experts on employment, these things matter. Uh, But I have to say, I go beyond that. Um, I'm pretty well known for interviewing every person I ever meet when I walk into a store or a restaurant. Uh, uh, It's something that comes naturally to me. And I did have occasion to speak to someone totally unrelated to Connecticut and the work we're doing in the legislature. um, But at a family dinner where there was a young man who'd worked in warehouses and I just asked him about his experience. And of course, he had worked at Amazon. And he said, compared to other warehouses where he had worked, it was terrible, and he did not stay long. And I think that's one of the concerns, unfortunately, that wasn't pursued in the interview. There's a very high turnover rate at Amazon. And I think that speaks to the conditions at work. And so clearly, if If, in fact, Amazon is doing the kind of great work that was expressed by their national spokesperson, then I would say this bill should not be a problem for them because they won't have any effort, uh, they won't have any problem meeting the requirements of the bill. Um, The bill is quite simple. It does say that workers have to be made aware of the quota um, that is expected of them and the and the disciplinary actions might that might follow if they don't meet those quotas. I do appreciate hearing that they don't have quotas, and we'll make sure that uh, targets are also included in the bill. Um, but it also allows them time uh, to go to the restroom, uh, including the travel time to get to the restroom, and the state law requiring uh, lunch break. And I I think that one of the things that we heard is these are massive operations. And I know if you've driven to the airport recently, you've probably noticed that there's a huge facility um, that you can see from the road. And that makes it a little more understandable why it might take someone a longer time to walk to the bathroom um, and get back to their workstation. So, you know, the bill is quite simple. It also requires that we keep data and start tracking this information so that we will be better informed as a state um, to really understand what's going on in warehouses. And it, it doesn't name Amazon because I think we want to look at all these warehouses and make sure that workers are safe. Um, I, I do. I do want to say when I listened to the testimony, uh, and anyone can see it, it's on CTN. You can go back and look. I was shocked at hearing from the workers. It sounded like piecework from another era uh, where workers are being injured and they're being stressed and they're leaving these jobs because they don't provide long-term security uh, and long-term good jobs with good benefits. And so, you know, again, I would just say if Amazon is doing everything that they purported to be doing in the interview, then they shouldn't care about this bill at all because it won't affect them.
2: And we will be digging deeper into their turnover rates later on in the show. But I do want to ask real quickly, too, you just described uh, your shock in terms of of your images of what it what it looks like to work at Amazon. Do you think your shock speaks to a broader lack of public knowledge about Amazon's business practices?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, there there has been a lot in the news about Amazon, not just in Connecticut, but mostly around the country. And I don't think that's to be overlooked. The fact that we're hearing about Amazon regularly and their labor practices should be a concern to us. But I think what was most disturbing is I'm like pretty much everybody else. Uh, we order things online uh, through Amazon all the time because we wanted to get to our house immediately. And we've been spoiled I think uh, here now and know we can order something and get it the same day or the next day and when I heard these workers testifying about the workplace injuries the speed at which they're forced to work I did cringe because I felt guilty that um, I have allowed my own personal desire for immediate satisfaction um, to put other work you know people in danger and when I talked to other people I get the same reaction. We all have been sort of lulled into this belief that we need something immediately. And um, I don't think any of us wanna put a worker in jeopardy or in danger of getting hurt or losing their job because they can't meet a a target, let's say.
2: Well, and I just want to clarify, too, because, I mean, we've mentioned bathrooms in this in this conversation and um, because you talked about bathrooms at this new Windsor facility, which we did get a chance to visit. So there were 16 bathrooms for all the 66 football fields length of uh, of space that uh, the Windsor facility is. Um, Is this 11th generation facility where we were told a bathroom trip wouldn't be more than a minute representative of what you've been hearing from people? Well, 16 bathrooms for
0: 66 football fields. That does seem like it might not be enough. Plus, you have to think about how many people are going at the same time. There are lots of people working in these facilities. So, you know, clearly uh, it, it, it might look pretty normal. I have heard, you know, we've heard very differently from the workers. So some point we have to... to see you know who do we trust and who we believe um i don't know that these workers have any anything to gain from uh going before a public hearing and making up stories i don't think that's i don't think that's real and it's not been my experience over 42 years of working with directly with workers who are trying to improve their work situation i think they tell the truth
2: So we just have about a minute left, but I do want to ask you, uh, because the Department of Labor opposed this bill, saying that these standards do fall under federal OSHA's jurisdiction, as well as various concerns about the cost of implementation and enforcement. You know, what are your response to that, especially after hearing so much from the public hearing?
0: Well, I'm not surprised. Um, That is typical of most of our labor bills. We get a fiscal note that it's going to cost too much for Connecticut Department of Labor to enforce. Uh, That's unfortunate, but uh, since 2017, they've lost 35% of their workforce um, through budget cuts. And um, so it is a real problem, but something we need to address. We need to make sure that we as a state are providing enough resources to our Connecticut Department of Labor to be able to enforce the laws we have and make sure that we're advancing new laws that will address the new work
2: situations. And just really quickly, you know, can you give us an update on what's the latest and what's next? Uh, We know that this has made it through the Labor Committee, which you chair, and I think the appropriations as well. And, And have you heard from Amazon as well?
0: Uh, I did get an invitation to tour. It was at the busiest time of uh, the session, and uh, we are running 52 bills, uh, 50 bills in our Labor Committee, and I'm on six other committees. So uh, it wasn't possible for me to tour at the time. But uh, I do believe this bill will move forward. I think it's an important bill. And while it's been opposed by the business community, again, if employers are doing the right thing,
2: then this bill should not threaten them at all. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to State Senator Julie Kushner. I appreciate your time. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Happy to do so. Take care. Coming up next, we'll have Business Insider Tech Correspondent Catherine Long plus Eric Getty with the Connecticut Business and Industry Association who will be joining us. Do you have experience working in warehouses in Connecticut? You can join the conversation 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We just heard Amazon's stance on a proposed bill that will set transparency standards for warehouse workers in the state. And here to help us understand all of that is Catherine Long. She's a business insider tech correspondent who is joining us right now. Thanks so much for being here, Catherine.
4: Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. Always nice to talk to another Catherine. You know, I was just going to say, it
2: sounds funny repeating uh, my own name, but clarification, mine starts with a C and yours starts with a K. I think that's very important. Uh, You mean mine is spelled
4: correctly. (laughs) You know what? We're not going to go there right now.
2: That's a different show. (laughs) I'm going to just quickly remind our listeners that please feel free to give us a call if you have any questions, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So, a Catherine with a K, uh, Connecticut would be the first state to pass legislation around quotas and transparency. Is that the case? And can you help us walk us through that?
4: So, two other states have, uh, actually three now, Washington State just passed legislation around this uh, the other week. So, Washington State, California, and New York have all passed legislation that is substantially similar to what Connecticut is considering, Minnesota also has a warehouse worker safety bill um, that uh, just passed both chambers of their their legislative body. Uh, I believe it has not yet been signed by the governor, but but we expect it to be. So Connecticut would join a small but growing number of states that have this type of legislation.
2: And I know you mentioned um, other states have passed this into law. Can you talk about what has played out in those states?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we we are just not quite sure yet what the effect of this, this law has been on warehouse worker safety. Um, you know, California was the first state to pass this type of legislation. And I keep expecting lawsuits to be filed by warehouse workers or um, that state's uh, branch of OSHA to uh, wield this law in investigating warehouses. And we just haven't seen that happen yet. But it's possible that time will tell.
2: And we're going to take a moment to take a quick call from John, who's calling us from Washington. John, you are on the air.
1: Hello. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, go ahead.
1: Great. Um, yeah. so, so what was just said, um, Yeah, I think that, or I guess in the form of a question, wouldn't you think that the fact that similar legislation has now passed and three states, California, New York, and Washington, with more potentially on the way with Minnesota, and even in states like Alaska and Massachusetts, where similar bills have been introduced with Republican co-sponsors that, number one, my first question is, don't you think that something is happening um, in this industry that is of concern to folks in both political camps, um, where we're really not seeing that in a lot of other issues this day and age? And my, my second question is that, the evidence is that injury rates are higher at Amazon's facilities, and that turnover is so high that last year Amazon admitted in inter- internal leak documents that they were afraid in certain in market certain markets they would churn through all available workers in that area of the country. That the idea of target moving target, whether you call it quotas or production metrics, doesn't it make sense. Is it not common sense that that could very well lead to a culture where workers are working so hard, not knowing what their metrics are for the day or what they're being judged against, that they're either hurting themselves or quitting at unsustainable rates.
2: Well, thank you, John, for that call. And we will be digging into the idea of turnover rates and how that's calculated actually in the next segment. Uh, But Catherine, can you respond to what John has to say so far?
4: Yeah, I think both of those things are true. You know, one reason that uh, we have Seen some of this legislation um, passed and be introduced is that OSHA doesn't actually have a way to regulate the most common injuries at Amazon. The most common injuries at Amazon are called musculoskeletal disorders or ergonomic injuries. These are injuries that are directly linked to working too quickly, working too long, working too hard. Um, in Washington state, uh, we have some really great data showing that at Amazon, rates of musculoskeletal disorders like strains, sprains, hernias, uh, nebulous back pain, um, are four times higher than at non-Amazon warehouses. And that indicates that workers at Amazon warehouses are being pressured to work faster than is sustainable. Um, but OSHA doesn't have an ergonomic standard. OSHA doesn't have any laws that would, uh, allow, that would allow it to fine companies for ergonomic injuries. And I think that's one reason why um, we're seeing an upswell of legislation in these states. And that ties in directly to your second point, John, that workers, you know, even if the, the rates are, are sustainable for workers, uh, even if the time off task is um, loosely applied in a lot of instances, there is a, a culture of fear. That's what Amazon workers have told me that they might lose their job at any point. I think one part of that is that Amazon's automated systems for writing workers up often make mistakes and those mistakes don't, they, they go uncaught. Um, I wanna dive a little deeper into how Amazon calculates uh, these these productivity targets. Amazon expects workers to perform uh, at a rate that is 25%, sorry, that is higher than the 20, 25th percentile of workers doing the same job in the same facility. That means that Amazon expects 25% of the people in that building not to make their rate. Um, Amazon also expects managers to have a uh, a, a training conversation, <laughs> um, sort of figuring out what's going on uh, with uh, the, the people in the bottom three to five percentile. And uh, if that those, those training conversations, if enough of them happen in the span of six months, that, that person can be fired.
2: And so, actually, uh, building on that, we spoke with Irene Tung with the National Employment Law Project, or NELP, uh, which is a workers' advocacy group. She testified at the March hearing about the trends in the types of injuries that they found from OSHA data, uh, which they note that the vast majority of them are serious. So, let's take a listen to how they compiled that data in years past.
4: The, you know, the way that OSHA categorizes injuries um, and how serious they are, is whether or not these injuries lead to workers having to take days off of work um, because they're too injured to to continue working, or if they have to be transferred to light duty um, and to have their job tasks modified um, because they're too injured to do their normal job.
2: And so... Amazon has pushed back on this categorization of seriousness. But, Catherine, you were one of the reporters that NELP worked with um, back at The Seattle Times. Can you tell us a little bit about how this data is collected?
4: Um, This is self-reported data that Amazon is required to file with the Department of Labor every year for every facility. so it's a little bit different than some of the data that I just referenced uh, about the prevalence of musculoskeletal disorders, which actually comes from workers' compensation claims. So that is compiled by workers seeking medical care, basically. Um, so yeah, the, the data that Irene is referencing is, is self-reported data to OSHA.
2: And how much of this has to do with the undersourced nature of a lot of uh, these state and federal agencies? You know, again, uh, we talked about earlier that the Connecticut Department of Labor opposed the bill for a lot of reasons, which includes the need for funding and the staff to implement it, and also that they don't have jurisdiction over private sector employees and that the federal OSHA does. What's your response to that?
4: Right. I mean, we have seen that, um OSHA is understaffed. Uh, The number of inspections that they're able to conduct is quite low. Um, The fines for employers who uh, who do get inspected by OSHA and receive a negative inspection are very low. They have not budged uh, for decades. Um, And also, employers have the ability to appeal these citations in court. um, And those appeals can drag on for for years um, at a tremendous legal cost.
2: And the opposition to this bill was not just around standing labor laws and agencies, but also around the importance of metrics to businesses where we live. And joining us now by phone is Eric Getty. He's a vice president for public policy at the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eric.
5: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
2: And so Eric, you testified at the March hearing saying that this bill mischaracterized how metrics are being used in Connecticut and that they're, all, they're not all punitive. Can you elaborate on how this applies to Amazon?
5: Absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I think that uh, the, the conversation itself, I, I think you or uh, listeners need to be aware that this is targeting, this bill is targeting much more than just one large employer in the state. This is applying to all businesses in the state that have a warehouse. And I can tell you that performance metrics are very common in private sector industries. They're critical to make sure that you meet long-term business goals, that you have a merit-based compensation system, that you could predict workflow and prevent logistical errors. These metrics are not being used in a punitive way, especially in a state that we simply cannot find enough workers, like Connecticut. You know, I mean there are, you know certainly uh, doing these type of metrics in a punitive way would cause more accidents it would destroy employee morale it means more osha fines for businesses whether federal or state it would lead to higher workers comp costs when all the data shows that connecticut businesses have among the safest workplaces in the nation workers comp costs continue to go down every single year because of all the safety measures put in by employers
2: And are some of the long-term metrics that you're describing, are they distinct from the worker productivity rates that are being used? Well, certainly,
5: uh, I mean, obviously, the the way you show the uh, the impact to employers, of course, is is the lack of uh, of, of fines from OSHA or, or the workers' compensation related to injuries. We're not seeing an increase in those at all in this state. Like I said, it's actually going down. But, yeah, you know, again, you need to make sure your people are, you know, you're able to predict your workflow. You're on to prevent logistical errors that are expensive for a business. So, um, you know, businesses do need these critical measures.
2: And so this bill doesn't require businesses to disclose company-wide quotas or any metrics beyond those sort of applicable that's applicable to given to a given person's job. And I'm reading from the bill here: uh, employer employers would give their employees a written description of the quotas they must meet and any possible adverse employment actions they may face for failing to do so. So this isn't punitive per se. So is this an issue, Eric?
5: No, I, and I think most employers are already providing employees with that data. I think the problem here is there's also um, rebuttable presumptions that if uh, any complaint or inquiry is made uh, uh, regarding those uh, those metrics, um, and you know the employee is not performing in other ways, that the provision of that data to them. Uh, again just presumes that the employer is is attempting to uh get around any litigation or complaints or harming that or retaliating against that employer in some way
2: you I was, know i i think, I was I say, think, I think thank, the problem oh, 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 go ahead, we sorry. have a, sorry we have a limited amount of time so i'm going to have to cut you off there but before we go Catherine, i do want to ask uh what are your thoughts with what eric just said
4: um i i think that um, you know <laughs> the, the risk of an employee retaliating against an employer, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how how that would play out in practice. Um, but the substance of what Eric said, I think, is is largely accurate. You know, warehouses are very complex organizations, and um, they need to our our reliance on rapid shipping means that in order to get products to our door in the time that we have been accustomed to expect it to arrive. Um, They need to rely on very stringent metrics, and that's that's just the, the facts of the matter.
2: You've been listening to Business Insider Tech Correspondent Catherine Long, as well as Eric Getty, who is the Vice President for Public Policy with CBIA. Uh, Thank you both for your time. And actually coming up, we will continue this conversation with Catherine. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Back with us to continue this discussion about proposed legislation around warehouse quotas and where Amazon enters the conversation is Catherine Long. She's a business insider tech correspondent, and she's been helping us break down the issue. Thank you so much again for joining us, Catherine. Thanks again for having me. And another reminder for our listeners that you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And so, Catherine, we mentioned NELP earlier, who is also one of the organizations that tracks employee turnover or attrition rates at Amazon, which you've also reported on. Because Amazon doesn't publicly disclose these numbers, this isn't as easy as sort of going through OSHA numbers. So can you explain the methodology that puts annual attrition at higher than 100%. Yeah,
4: so I I, I confess I'm actually uh, unfamiliar with NILP's, <laughs> NILP's methodology in, in calculating attrition rates at, at over 100%. Uh, but we, what we do know from leaked documents that were released to the New York Times is that um, Amazon's internal reporting pegs attrition at roughly 150%. Um, we know from documents that were leaked to Engadget that attrition across all of Amazon's operations, its corporate operations and its warehousing operations, where the vast majority of its workers are employed, uh, is costing the company $8 billion annually. And that, again, um, across all of its operations, uh, only one in three employees stays at Amazon for more than 90 days. Amazon is so worried about this problem that it uh, it. It published in, internal research, research internally, uh, it was leaked to Vox's Recode. Um, Amazon was worried that it could deplete the the labor supply in in some um, some metro districts because turnover is so high.
2: And Catherine, I want to ask too, because we've heard this from the caller earlier too, is how reliable are these numbers given that all of this is actually leaked?
4: That's a great question. Um, I, when I was reporting on Amazon, I, I relied often on which documents, and the process that I took to verify them was comprehensive. Um, it requires a great deal of trust in the person who is uh, leaking those documents, person or, or people. Um, I put a, I put a good deal of faith in in those figures, um, and I, I, I don't believe they should be discounted.
2: And how would you describe how many municipalities are variably welcoming to Amazon? And of course, some some don't want Amazon in their town, but others offer massive subsidies or tax breaks. Now, what are what are you hearing from the people that you've been talking to?
4: The ta- there, there's there's a, a range of opinions um, among uh, uh, municipalities and and other local jurisdictions about how to approach Amazon. Some of the places that have been most heavily saturated with Amazon warehouses, I'm thinking about um, the Inland Empire and other parts of California, uh, have recently passed legislation to limit warehouse growth because they are um, so concerned about the effects of uh, uh, pollution and and congestion uh, emanating from these warehouses. I should say this is not just Amazon. Uh, these parts of, of California have received a um, significant number of warehouses uh, writ large, not just Amazon warehouses. Right,
5: and um, cool. We've seen
4: a similar thing in, in, in Seattle, my hometown. Um, there was a, a major backlash towards uh, possibly citing new Amazon warehouses within the city limits. Other parts of the country, and I would say the vast majority of the country, sees Amazon as a massive job creator. And they are welcoming Amazon warehouses with things like tax subsidies. Um, I believe the The warehouse that that, um, WNPR toured uh, received a significant tax subsidy in in the form of millions of dollars. Um, That's more in line with the the common attitude that I've seen.
2: Yeah, I think that reflects to a lot of the conversations that we've been having as well. And I do want to ask in in the... Inland Empire in California, I wasn't expecting to hear that because that's very close to my hometown, um, is, you know, what else are you hearing that that surprised you during, during your reporting? You know, obviously you've been doing this for a while, but was there something that stuck out to you? Are you surprised that we're having this conversation today?
4: I am surprised that um, some towns have decided that they are effectively done with warehousing um, for the short term or that they've had enough. Um, that's a very strong position to take, and um, it's uh, you know not a common one. Um, but that is something that surprised me certainly is that some municipalities are are you know putting their foot down on new new warehouse growth.
2: And because we've been we've been using the term quotas and targets sort of interchangeably throughout this conversation, I would love to know what's your response to Amazon's resistance to the term quotas instead of targets.
4: My impression is that Amazon uh, uh, is pushing back against the, the phrase fixed quotas. So the idea that the quotas uh, do not change. Um, and that's true but at Amazon, the quotas do change depending on um, the, the pace that other people in the warehouse are working. Um, my impression is that regardless of, of the semantic issue, uh, workers, in Amazon's warehouses do see these productivity targets as quotas and they some some of them, not all of them, but some of them are um, very worried about meeting them and what would happen to their jobs if they don't meet them. And the workers that I've spoken to, you know, some of them they they they're star employees. They really want to meet these targets. They really want to exceed these targets. And that's leaving them with injuries.
2: And uh, a different kind of surprise, but you've been listening to this conversation, and State Senator Julie Kushner described a shock around hearing some of Amazon's business practices. You know, What's your sense of public knowledge around some of these issues and whether or not that's growing?
4: My sense is that um, the public is becoming more informed about uh, the human cost of our, our need for fast delivery. But, um, I... I you know, when I started reporting on this issue, I I, I don't think it was very common for people to, uh, to to know a great deal about it. But I feel like now if I tell people I, I report on Amazon's warehouses, the first thing that comes to their mind is um, injuries.
2: Mm, that's really telling, considering the conversation we've been having today. And then we only have about a minute left. But I do want to ask, you know, you've been reporting on this for a while. What are some of your next steps? You know, what are you, what are you looking out for for your next report?
4: Um, I'm going to be looking at a legal fight that's taking place in Washington State. Amazon uh, has contested uh, some some of the first violations for um, uh, repetitive motion-linked injuries um, in that state, and I'm curious to see what types of new information about Amazon's business practices and its health and safety practices might come out in the course of that testimony. Um, I'm also continuing to track uh, OSHA's uh, uh, investigation into um, Amazon warehouses. Uh, there were some very interesting details, allegations about Amazon's use of its on-site first aid clinics, which is called Amcare in uh, a recent round of OSHA citations um, that I am uh, really interested to follow.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We certainly look forward to your reporting. You've been listening to Catherine Long, who is a business insider tech correspondent. Thank you so much, Catherine, for spending time with us today and helping us understand the issues better.
4: Oh, thanks so much for having me here.
2: I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.